welcome to Night of the Living Geeks. If you geek out over it, we've got a podcast for you. Memory serves here on the Night of the Living Geeks Network, episode 18, PBS Memories. I'm Taylor, and with me as he is every month when we wander back through the hazy halls of our memories growing up in the Bay Area in the 80s and 90s, he's the star hustler to my Dave Lister. Mm-hmm. It's my brother, Seb. Seb, how's it going? It's going great. I'm pumped. I have a ticket to go to a taping of my favorite PBS show, The Antiques Rocho, next month here in sunny Sacramento. Nice. This is going to be the fourth time I've been to a taping of the antiques roadshow and i am stoked now will this be the first time you haven't snuck onto the uh show this is this is this will be this will be completely legit with the actual ticket i'm very excited to say nice uh, i don't have to sneak in through any loading docks or anything um and it's really exciting because i love seeing all the appraisers and everything it's sort of like some people see their favorite band in con- live in concert maybe once every four or five years when they come to town and this is like my version of that so i'm pretty stoked excellent um, still not entirely sure everything of what i'm going to bring to get appraised but that's kind of beside the point it's just kind of the experience and everything and hopefully i'll get in the background or something like that you know well yeah that's what we always hope for totally my 15 seconds of fame <laughs> how, are you, how are you doing um i'm good i'm good it's been uh it's been a busy week and uh we're starting to get into the warm season here i've wanted to get out in the afternoons and tinker on the bus a bit but at best it's waited for the kids to go to bed and the sun to go down right i bet but we're getting we're getting there with uh with the bus we've uh sort of got it started and we still need to work on a couple other things so hopefully this weekend well i i totally think that this maybe should be a uh, a new like segment of our podcast actually maybe (laughs) like the bus update you know what i mean yeah, well, we're kind of doing that on Podcastica as well. Oh, cool. So uh, why don't we see what's, uh, what we got to catch up on? Yeah. Previously on... Previously on... Previously on... If memory serves. So I totally forgot to thank you for digitizing all those old commercials. Uh, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, my brother uh, really went above and beyond the Call of Duty and took some old DHS tapes from the old family archives and... Uh, we had a couple of great local San Jose area television commercials accidentally stored on uh, on VHS tape, and he digitized them, and we threw them up on YouTube. And some of them, you know, got over 600 hits within a, like a couple weeks, you know, and it was pretty exciting. So I really want to tip my hat to you, sir. Thank you so much. This was yeah, really fun. my pleasure. I mean, I've got a, a new work laptop, so I was able to take the old one, give them the hard drive, put a new one in, and I've got kind of a dedicated rig to do podcasting and uh, video conversion and all that kind of stuff with. I think my favorite commercial was, there was one from about 1984 for a concert, a contest to enter your own uh, country music song for a contest that would be held at the Santa Clara County Fairgrounds. Oh, right. And I think in order to pay to enter the contest, you had to like actually send in a check for $10 along with the tape, mm-hmm. which was, it totally sounded so scammy. But I'm just like, I would love to know who won that thing. You know, I'll have to like look at some old newspapers or something and try to figure that out someday, I guess. Yeah, that answer might be out there somewhere. Totally. And, uh, and yes, also, uh, also previously, uh, something I wanted to mention, um, uh, I'm really sad to say that a, an eBay auction came and went without me knowing. And there's an item that I've been looking for, for at least 10 years, probably more from our childhood that I totally missed the boat on. Um, there was a poster and I think you, you might remember this, uh, that I had, uh, 
as a kid back in the late 80s or early 90s, and it was one of the large, oversized um, coloring posters that mm-hmm. our listeners may be familiar with. Um, I remember it very well. This particular one I was a big fan of, and it showed anthropomorphic cartoon rats sailing a pirate ship. Um, and the pirate ship um, was drawn in such a way that it was like a cross-section, and you could see all the action going on in all the different decks. And um, and yeah, it, it came up and sold on eBay, and you know, I only found out about it a couple months after the auction finished. Um, I've been trying to be philosophical about the whole thing. At least now I have a couple grainy photographs of what it used to look like, and also confirmation that outside our immediate family of somebody else recognizing that this thing did exist. It wasn't really tied into any particular um, cartoon or comic franchise, so it's been very difficult to search for it. Um, I still don't know the name of the artist or the publisher who, pr- who produced the poster, but um, I feel like I'm getting one step closer to the, my uh, my quarry or my prey. So hopefully keep my fingers crossed sometime within the next 10 years, I'll be able to track down a copy. So Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, last weekend we took Amber's uh, half-sister down to Santa Cruz mm. for the day, and we stopped in at a shop on the Santa Cruz Wharf. Uh-huh. And they had something similar to, but not exactly like the uh-huh. Pirates poster. Yeah. Um, but they did have um, smaller posters, um, not quite as cartoony in terms of content. This was more like, you know, color it up and it's now your blacklight poster in your bedroom uh, kind of quality of stuff. But that kind of stuff is still out there. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering if maybe... Maybe that was the parent company for both. I, I really should have taken a picture to give you some information. Yeah, you know, it, this this one eBay auction that I missed, it was it almost felt like it was meant to be. The seller was just down the street in Contra Costa County, and the poster itself was even it appeared to be new old stock. It hadn't been colored in by some kid or anything, and it was like coming this close to your dreams and washing them brush by like a stranger in the crowd. Oh. Yeah. When you oh. posted that link, I I didn't even I didn't even click it. I just said you have to buy it. Doesn't matter what it costs, you have to buy it. And then I clicked on it and I was like, Oh, this ended like four months ago. But still it made my heart sing that you remembered that. So, oh, of course I remember you. it. I have very fond memories of those posters. Thank you, thank you. Ah Nice. Well, why don't we find out what's going on? And ABC News Break brought to you by Budweiser Beer. Stay with us. The late edition is next. In the news. That's right. Um, folks, we are testing out a new piece of software uh, with this episode. I'm trying to work a soundboard into uh, our episodes to make things a little easier for me when I edit. Uh, save a little time here. So we'll see how this works out. But you know what? So last Sunday, when you guys were all over for Easter, uh, it was a very special day, not just because it was Easter and everybody was over, but it was also the 30th birthday of the Game Boy. Wow, the handheld Nintendo Game Boy. That's amazing. Do you remember, did we have one straight out the gate when they first came out? Or Well, they the April 21st date is when they were first released in Japan. Oh, I believe Japan. I read that it was July that they came out in America. Okay. Um, so... So I probably got mine now. I've I've looked at the serial number on mine and uh, done a little bit of research. It's within the first one million built. Okay. All right. Um, so my guess is that I probably either got it for my birthday or Christmas. And my, my guess is that it probably was a Christmas item. Did we each have our own individual Nintendo Game Boys as children? I don't remember you having one. Okay. So you, you had one, but I didn't. Okay. Yeah. 
I gotcha. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I don't remember you adding one. Okay. Well, Mom, if you're listening, feel free to chime in and let us know. Yeah, right? Um, and naturally, folks, we will have links to all these stories that we're talking about in the show notes. Um, interestingly enough, a house um, here in the Bay Area that we grew up calling the Barba Papa House, um, although folks will know it uh, more as the Flintstone House, mm-hmm. uh, has been in the news lately. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's um, I believe it's in San Mateo County. It's yeah. visible from Highway 280, especially if you're going northbound. I think in the city of Hillsboro, perhaps. Yeah, I believe it's in Hillsboro. Right, and it's a it's a mid-century modern house designed by. It's kind of a well, literally, it looks like something from Bedrock. It looks like something out of the Flintstones. Um, it has kind of a very um, organic, amorphous shape. Uh, I believe it's maybe poured concrete. Um, I think so. And as kids, I remember us frequently taking family trips up to the city and seeing it and pointing it out. Um, of course, we called it Barba Papa after a French, the character in a French children's book, yeah, I believe, yeah. who kind of looked like a jolly job of the hut kind of guy. <laughs> sort of, maybe. Um, but of course, everybody in the Bay Area calls it the Flintstone House. I think the current owner installed some uh, lawn ornaments that are actually giant dinosaurs. Yes. And yes, then like, the, the current s- owner has embraced the theme. Yeah, but then the, there was like the city code inspector people came down on them like a ton of bricks or something, apparently. Yeah. And, yeah. and now they are planning to or are currently countersuing the city of Hillsborough for their uh, enforcement of their snootiness. Well, I am rooting for the homeowner in this case. That's Indeed. For sure. Likewise. You know, every home is a person's castle, especially this one. Yeah. Ugh. So previous months, we've talked about the uh, coming film, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, as well as now a Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark documentary. And there is now a trailer for said documentary. Hell yeah. What was the, <laughs> well, what was the trailer like? What can you um, paint me a picture. Paint you a picture. I would do a terrible job of that because I didn't give myself time to look at it before we started ah. recording. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I assure you it's bound to be epic, immense, wonderful. Um, you'll see probably a, a hook on the handle. Uh, maybe, probably. Maybe a kid pulling a dead toe <laughs> off of a dead foot. Um, who knows? I can't wait. I know. I, I just in full transparency, it's been a busy month and yeah, I can throw stuff in the show notes. It doesn't necessarily mean that I've read every word of it. I'm a bad host. Well, no, but Hey, this is just going to be even more exciting when we get to see it. I there can't wait. Go. There you huh. go. I wonder if it's going to be, it's, it's probably going to be like a Netflix documentary, I bet, or something like that. Um, I don't know that it's tied to Netflix at all. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I, you, it's something that you think might be, but I don't think it is. Well, I hope it premieres at like the Cannes Film Festival or something like that, because this is like big time stuff for me, at least. Yeah, or at least, you know, a, a film festival involving Cannes. <laughs> that too. That too. <laughs> All well, right, Seb, let's get to the main event. Do it. This time on, if memory serves. That's right. We are talking our PBS memories. I don't know about the rest of you, but we grew up with quite a lot of public broadcasting in our lives. Indeed. In fact, we grew up with two different PBS channels that we could receive on our television set. Um, uh, technically, we received three. We received three. Can you believe it? We received, <laughs> wait a second, KQED, that was San Francisco. Yep. KTAH, our own hometown, San Jose. Yep. And wait a second, KCSM? Ooh, good job. Yeah, that College of San Mateo. That's, that's right. right. I forgot about that that's one. That's right. 
College of San Mateo. That's correct. Well, that's how nerdy the Bay Area is. We get three PBS stations. I know. I, guess. I can't think of anywhere else that has three PBS stations. Well, did you have a favorite? Oh, KTEH, easily. Yeah, totally. Definitely. Yeah. KQED always kind of came off kind of snooty mm-hmm. in my mind. That's yeah. where all the Napa Valley wine drinkers were watching. Right, right. And the rest of us were a bunch of nerds, and, and we watched KTEH because they had cool science fiction on and anime and all that kind of stuff. There was a guy who was like the station manager of KTEH, and you'd see him during the pledge breaks. He was a yeah. big chubby guy with a mustache. I think his name was like Tom Pinella or Tom Casella or Tom Amiano or something like that. <laughs> Tom something. Um, and he actually lived just a couple blocks down from us. I would see him at like the Safeway, the Santa Clara Safeway every once in a while. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, true story. Yeah. See, I, I remember, um, what was his name? George Sampson. George Sampson. Right, Taller guy, Samson. kind of a ginger beard. Wait, and there was another guy. There was um, uh, 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 the prisoner guy. We're, ta- we're, we're, we're I'm jumping ahead now, but the guy who was the host of like Prisoner. Yes. Oh, what was um, his name? I don't remember his name right now. Oh. I can see him in my head though. It's going to come to me before the end of the episode, I'm sure. Well, luckily, so. we've got a lot of episode ahead of us. I was shocked how long our list was. We had to cut it down to just 10 episodes. Oh, my we, God. We did. We might actually, I'll be honest, come back and, and do a, uh, a PBS sequel episode. We cut a lot of stuff out. We could easily do a second episode. Totally. Although, I will I will say that... Scott I, Appel. Scott Appel. His there, name you Scott Appel. Sorry. there you go. There you go. Um, I will say that I did a double take when you put Robotech on there, because I remember that being on <laughs> um, KBHK, which was a uh, uh, San Francisco-based station. Yeah. And you were like, no, Wikipedia says KTEH, and I did some more research, and apparently KTEH did air Robotech, but on Sunday nights during a block of anime. So we weren't watching it then, we were watching it in the afternoons. Was it roughly uh, like like also from the 80s though? Like was it kind of contemporary with our... Like, was, um, was, no, was actually the the, 90s, I think the, the anime blocks on KTEH were kind of later into the 90s and oh, almost, okay. uh, almost might have stretched into the 2000s. Okay, then I, I feel it's proper to strike that I guess. I gotcha. Okay. That's okay. No, hey, you saw it and I was like, no, that's totally wrong. They never aired that, and I was wrong. So <laughs> you learn something new every day. There you go. Yeah. What, um, what was your preferred PBS station? Oh, KTEH. I think if for no other reason than I believe maybe eight years ago, KQED kind of swallowed up KTEH. Yes. It kind of merged, but it wasn't like it was more like uh, one ate the other kind of like, um, and that's unfortunate in a sense. Um, I, I miss the old bumpers. Sometimes I go on YouTube and watch like little you know clips and stuff like that um, yeah i know there's a lot of like pledge break stuff and some doctor who interviews and stuff that are that all got moved to to youtube by uh you know people who had recorded them back in the day so that that stuff is definitely out there which is cool to watch the one and only time i volunteered to work at a pledge drive at kteh i was actually absolutely shocked when they instructed me whenever the camera was rolling to talk on the phone as if i was talking to a donor even if nobody had called in oh. and Scandalous. I was oh yeah I was I was outraged I I just felt so dirty but I digress so no that's fair I mean that's that's Ugh. those are those behind the scenes things that you know people who only ever watched pledge breaks and not participated in them would wouldn't know totally ah, so should we get started what's your first pick for the night well my first pick is obviously very close to my heart um it um it's Doctor Who Doctor Who that's right um so in April of 1981 KTH started showing uh. Dr. Doctor Who, and it ran on the station all the way through to January 2003. Wow. Um, um, and then even came back 
back in 2007 when they actually started showing some of the uh, the new Doctor Who series, uh, which I was really amazed by. I, I had no idea that they ever showed any new Who on PBS, so that was pretty awesome. Okay. Um, for me, I probably started watching as much as I wish. I knew like the exact date and exactly what episode mm-hmm. um, I was first introduced to Doctor Who. Um, the best I've been able to figure out, there are some resources out there on the web that actually have a um, like a log of here's here's what station was showing it, here's what was on on a particular night. Okay, um, which that in and of itself is amazing. Um, but I'm looking at KTH. I I could kind of pinpoint what summer it was that I was introduced because there's kind of a point where I don't really have any Doctor Who stuff in my life. And then there's a point where I definitely have some Doctor Who stuff in my life. Um, So as best as I was able to figure out, it was probably Memorial Day weekend of 1986. Wow. Because I have a very strong memory, and I can't guarantee that it was the first episode I ever watched, but the first one that really sticks with me was actually Tom Baker's last story, Legopolis. Okay. Um, And that was airing Memorial Day weekend of 1986. So that's what I've at least decided, like, that's when I got introduced to Doctor Who. That's when you got religion, yeah. That's that's right. I'm I'm ashamed to say I I probably would not be able to recite to you any any individual story story arc plotline of any Doctor Who's, except to say that my memory was each maybe 10 episode segment or block, or I don't know what you call it, um, it, it always always had the same like setup. It's like they arrived in some place or some time, and then either the TARDIS broke down or like it got stolen, and they were stuck on a place for ten episodes, and they had to help somebody like get out of some trouble. And then at the very end, they got the TARDIS back and went off somewhere else. You know, gotcha. that was the, that was kind of like the, the my memory, which is probably not a good thing. Like it's probably not super accurate. But well, the thing that I'm oh go ahead for what it's worth, I think there's only one story ever that was ten parts long. Okay, so I'm probably as a little okay. It's probably I don't know how five. Most the of them were four, somewhere six. Four to six. Okay, four to six. <laughs> but but one thing I'm really curious about, and you probably know this better than I, how the heck did we even like? Was it did mom and dad were they previously Doctor Who fans from the seventies and they sat us down and said, "Kids, watch this," or did we just randomly find it on the tube? Or like, what's going um, on? How did this well, happen? Well, I know that you know mom was definitely into it and grandma jerry was definitely into it okay um so it us getting introduced to it i don't remember it being mom and or dad sitting us down and being like you guys got to check this out this is so rad okay. the monsters are okay. so floppy you'll love it um right, right. i think it was one of those things where um you know they had it on and <clears throat> i was old enough to go hey what's that okay um and uh kind of get you know introduced and turned on to it because honestly my summer evenings i mean like we were we were outdoor kids like we would go play out in the neighborhood we'd play in the yard play on the roof um, yeah we play on the roof uh um my summer evenings would stop at 7 p.m. Like, the okay. sun's still up, but I'm like, it's 7 p.m. I have to go inside. Doctor Who is on. Right. Doctor Who time. Yeah. Um, I had to go in. And typically, like, right after that would be like, are you being served or something? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was always more interested when the villains were either Daleks or Cybermen. Well, sure. Like, those were always, like, kind of like the key episodes or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they are obviously the two biggest villains short of the master. 
uh on that show so it's 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 not surprising that you'd be like "Ooh, cybermen episode ooh, dalek episode you know who was your favorite doctor from um childhood? you know obviously i'm i'm always gonna have a tremendous soft spot for tom baker because he's the first one that i ever watched i'll go you know logically it was his his last story as he regenerates into the fifth doctor but i consider the seventh doctor sylvester mccoy to be my doctor this was these were episodes where um, we were getting them on KTEH not too terribly long after, after they were brand new, uh, in England. So this, this was the doctor who was, uh, the current doctor during my time of discovering the show. So, um, I really glommed onto that. And obviously, um, um, yeah, it's just, it's something that's, you know, stuck with me throughout the decades you know that the, I, I may have mentioned this on a previous podcast but the character of doctor who fascinates me because it reminds me so much of the character of james bond mm-hmm. in the sense that you know there's one actor that portrays one character for a while and then you have a new actor portraying the same character but it's not necessarily like a reboot it's just a continuation right. but at the same time the audience is totally on board with it and it's not like some sort of it's not like when batman gets replaced with a new actor and like the world goes crazy and tears their hair out you know <laughs> yeah like it's like doctor who must have been one of the first franchises that did something like that it seems to me yeah you know what i mean yeah, i mean d- i, I would definitely say it is because even though the first james bond film was in 1963 we didn't get a new uh we didn't get a, a second bond until the late 60s after uh the first doctor had already regenerated into the second totally um and yeah for i mean for me like you know marvel dc like superheroes and stuff like they were on my radar but i wasn't really into them the doctor was my superhero yeah um the the doctor and and how he um you know treated situations and handled situations and at times was compassionate and at times had to you know make the tough choices or whatever it was um he was kind of my uh, role model for not, a lot of that in terms of pop culture, obviously. And not only that, but when you think about it, how rare is it to have a quote unquote hero in a TV show, movie, whatever, that's essentially nonviolent? Um, I wouldn't say nonviolent. Well, I mean, you, you, never, watched, you, never, you never see him shooting a gun. I mean, um, do you? I have seen him shoot a gun. Wait, what? what doc- in what, fact, which, I, I just watched a first doctor story for podcastica that we're about to record in which he shoots a gun. Wait, is that modern stuff though? I'm talking like when. No, no, no. No, no, no. First Doctor. Oh, like Petwee or whatever? Like like, like William Hartnell, 1966. Oh, Hartnell. Yeah, no, no, granted, this is an, a, a story that takes place in Tombstone, Arizona. Oh, well, okay. I mean, that's, you know. So there is that. But yeah. don't for a minute. Now, granted, he doesn't like guns. He doesn't want to use violence. Yeah. He's not going to go running around punching everything, but that's not to say that there isn't violence in the show. I have actually seen some very violent episodes. Well, I still think it's a good thing and a rare thing to have a quote-unquote hero that isn't super violent, I guess. No, and I absolutely agree with that. And if you were to watch uh, the most recent season with Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor, I, I, I think we have an excellent 
uh, role model in in solving problems without always resorting to violence. I think totally. it's excellent. So, but totally. yes, but you know, don't take that to go. Oh, well, it's just it's just a kids show. No, there's there are some very violent deaths in some of these stories. It's crazy. Anyway, oh my gosh. Uh, um, oh, I'm trying to think. Uh, what else do I remember? Oh, I remember the the uh, local Bay Area Doctor Who Club, the Legion of Rassilon, uh, running the phones during pledge breaks. Oh, that's so... Oh, my God. Did you ever join them? No, actually, I never oh. did. They are still around, but I never joined no way. them. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. That'd be yeah. some amazing, like, do, like, an oral history interview of some of those folks or something. Oh, God. I can only imagine. I, I When I was at Gallifrey One this year and i was on some discussion panels um the very first one that i was on talking about like what fandom was like for us 30 years ago um there was a guy in the audience who had some great insights but was from this area and had lots of kteh memories which i thought was cool man i should totally buy you that shirt on ebay that's like a doctor who kteh shirt oh i know which one you're talking about it was like i bet it was a pledge strike gift but like the person wanted 500 dollars and it's covered with like mustard stains so it's like i was kind of like on this i'd have to like soak it in like you know oxyclean or something i bet yeah not i mean cool yes worth it for that kind of money no i've i've got my pledge break uh trinket and the courtesy of you which is one of those disappearing tardis mugs from the 80s oh that's right yeah yeah um because i remember grandma jerry had one um so so now i have one and that's awesome now if you happen folks to go to ebay and search for uh uh disappearing tardis mug um and you find the old ones which are white um, with the diamond logo on it, there is one person out there who is convinced it's actually from the '60s, and <laughs> it's worth a bonkers amount of money. It was he's got it on there for like 700 bucks or something, and it's just wow. you know do research before you bid on stuff on eBay. That's all I'm gonna say. This this guy is just cockamamie crazy. Uh, it's from well, the I... '80s, and it's like a twenty dollar item. <laughs> it's not a seven hundred dollar item. Although the idea of pouring hot water into a mug and watching a logo on the mug then disappear almost seems like it might be worth seven hundred dollars i'm not saying i'd pay seven hundred dollars to see that but that's kind of cool i'll tell you this much the mug that you got me i did eventually try to put hot water into does it still work no oh no no i want my money back no it it you know that that kind of technology and that ink having gone through more than 30 years worth of existence yeah that just doesn't work anymore yeah okay all right well man oh that that kind of that bumps me out a little bit. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, but good pick. Man, solid. Yeah. Strong out the gate. Look at you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. What's your first? Well, I'm going to have to uh, take us back to 1985 to a little show I like to call The Secret City Adventures. Yes. Now, Secret City Adventures um, probably won't be immediately recognizable to most of our listeners. Um but it was a program um, made by Maryland's PBS affiliate. Um, it was one single 65-episode season produced in 1985 that reran for years and years. And it was a it was basically a drawing show. It was a show intended to get kids excited about drawing, help them learn about drawing. Um, it was kind of like Bob Ross, but instead of Happy Trees, it was all sci-fi, 3D, comic book city type stuff. Um, I loved this show. Oh, it was so good. And it had a really epic intro uh song and maybe we could listen to a little clip of it right now for our viewers uh, yeah yeah check it out here it is oh no doesn't that just 
You know what? When I first saw that YouTube clip maybe two or three years ago for the first time in like 25 years, it kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. Um, it, the show was hosted by a 19-year-old 19-year-old artist named Mark Kistler. Um, and he, he he went by the name Commander Mark on the show, uh, which was part of the charm because it had a whole sci-fi thing. Um, he was dressed, I guess, in like a sci-fi space outfit, but it kind of looked like a cross between a Ghostbuster and a Nazi, um, in my opinion. Um, well, it, I, I mean, it was basically a jumpsuit and all over like on his arm or on his uh, breast pocket there was just you could get a marker anywhere yeah he was like covered in velcro and like like sharpies basically he should have had like bandoliers of markers yeah exactly you know um and i guess he like later on in life maybe i he he won an emmy or something which cool. is really cool like the fact that like he won he won an emmy is like really exciting um, I was really, however, um, more enthused about his co-host, um, played <laughs> by a guy named Joel Gorey. Uh, his, the, his co-host was Zebtron, a cyborg who wore a black and purple striped onesie. And I think the thing that got me so excited about Zebtron was his name sounded like, Zeb's kind of sounded like Zeb, like my yeah, name. Yeah. And like, my name is pretty, like, I'll tell you kids, like growing up, whenever you go to the toy store and you would find the little dispensary where you could buy miniature license plates, each one having a different child name the fact that you would never be able to find sebastian kind of like you know messed me up a little bit you know so i'll i'll take anything i can get you know if there's a cyborg named zebtron on a show teaching me how to draw i'll grab it um but now we were both really big into drawing when we were kids i think right yeah definitely and i i think we both kind of really enjoyed this show a lot i mean i remember this this show taught me a lot about perspective and shading and stuff mm -hmm. yeah and it was really interesting they'd feature interviews with like famous artists and illustrators and try to get people interested in that profession um, one really cool aspect of the show, they had something called the Secret City Mural, mm -hmm. which was essentially like a huge piece of artwork in the background of the set that they would continually add to every episode. And it almost looked like a cross between like an MC Escher type situation with Dr. Seuss. Mm -hmm. And I guess supposedly he still has this huge piece of artwork in his collection. Um, really? blows my mind. Um, wow. There was even a Secret City Club, a fan club based out of, uh, of all places, Moraga, California, here in the Bay Area. Um, and it was great because at the end of each episode, kids could mail in examples of their artwork and sometimes they would show it on the air and talk to people and, you know, give a shout out to the little kid, you know. Um, and I guess just to close it up, I found a really fascinating uh, interview, an article online uh, with Mark, the host. Um, and he talks about the first time he after he finished doing the show, of course, he's still in the, the field of art and producing books and videos on how to how to draw and things like that. And I guess not too long ago, a couple years ago, his friends encouraged him to attend, set up a booth at his first comic convention. Mm -hmm. And he has this interview, and I'm just going to read a really quick part of it. 
Um, he said, quote, that was an amazing weekend experience. The first couple hours, these other artists found out I was there. So they started leaving their tables and coming up. Some of them in their childhood sat and watched my show. Some were in juvenile detention and watched my show and art saved their lives. I didn't have a clue. I just went in there with all my current art and my current books. I had no idea the fan base was so deep and wide. I must have had 138, 39, and 40-year-old men come up to me and start crying. It was so cool, unquote. And that's just, I know, that just makes me so happy, you know what I mean? And I'm just glad that, you know, we remembered the show and apparently other people remembered the show too, you know? Oh, definitely. I mean, this is the kind of thing, like, when you sent me the link to the episode, um that you shared with me um I, it just man it took me back so much even even just the fact that you know they've got a, a diamond shaped logo too and um you know i think about how much at least uh echo likes to draw and i'm like you know what i i should show this to the kids i should show just one episode to the kids just to see what they think see if it still holds up for kids yeah totally. right yeah, yeah totally i'm gonna try to do that soon i'll have to find like the remastered blu-ray edition or something oh god that would be awesome <laughs> Oh, man. So what's your what's your next pick for the evening? Oh, my next pick was another British science fiction show, but this one didn't come along until um, uh, much later than, say, 1963, um, but it holds a very uh, big spot in my heart. It's Red Dwarf. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, Red, I'm okay. trying to think of how I would sum up Red Dwarf to somebody who has never seen it. Um, well, it's more of a comedy than Doctor Who, I guess. Oh, it's very... Yes, yes. It's very much a comedy. I think in some ways it is the odd couple set in space. Oh, oh, that's... I don't think you could say it any better, actually. That's, that's precisely got, what it is. You've got Dave Lister, who is... Uh, spoilers, the last human. Um something happens you'll have to watch the show um but he's very slovenly and he's very lazy um and then you have arnold rimmer uh his his bunk mate and uh who comes back as a as a hologram and he's very by the rules by the book you know clean and neat but at the same time he thinks he's all that in a bag of crisps but he's not he's totally a coward and all that kind of stuff and and in there smeghead yes smeghead yes yes Exactly. Thank you. This was the show that taught me what Smeg actually is. Right. Um, me yeah, too. Go look, go, go look that up, folks. Um. <laughs> what a great show, though. You know, it's like, it's funny because whereas I, my memories are like super hazy about Doctor Who, it's like I remember like Red Dwarf left and right. I mean, I, I actually watched a couple episodes uh, this past couple weeks on YouTube. Nice. I literally had not seen any Red Dwarf content of any kind in at least 20 years. Mm-hmm. None of the old stuff, none of this new stuff. And it just, it just came back. Um, I was shocked that I remembered the lyrics to Fun, Fun, Fun in the Sun, 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 that oh, song. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, it just blew me away. Um, yeah. And I think this is really kind of cool because it's almost like PBS. PBS have a lot of great shows, but it have a lot of great British shows, a lot of imports. I mean, PBS, it almost kind of reminded me of the television equivalent of like the cost plus world market store where you could <laughs> yeah, go and you okay. could like 
find your candies and stuff from other countries that you couldn't find at any other stores, you know? I can totally see that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think really Red Dwarf was probably the first non-kids PBS show that wasn't handed down to us by our parents. This is something we discovered on our own. Right, right. Um, and I think we, for a long while, we had just about every episode on VHS for a long time. Right, right. Um, in um, fact, by the time that show got around to its, I think it's eighth season, uh-huh. um, KTH aired it all in one night. They had yeah. one big just blitz. I think, I think honestly, the show was kind of winding down, and I think the fandom for it was kind of winding down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, KTH did get the rights to it, but they showed it in one big blast. Um, and I seem to remember because we wouldn't have, I mean, eight episodes would fit on more than one videotape. I think it was one of those things where we started it recording and then like, I don't remember if somebody stayed up late to switch the tapes out or, or got up in the middle of the night to switch the tapes out. Oh, I'm sure we did. Um, to record all of it. Uh-huh. Um, but after that eighth season, the show kind of went away for a while yeah um and it wasn't until many years later um where they kind of got the band back together and started putting out um some more seasons i think there was a a ninth and tenth that were almost back to back and then there was kind of another break and then there was an 11th and 12th season um you can still see them all um um brit box which is a subscription service uh you can actually get that through amazon um, as well as just on its own has um, all the seasons and I, you can stream them anywhere. I must say I, I was a bigger fan of the earlier seasons. I remember when they got to maybe mm-hmm. season three or season four, they actually no longer were on the spaceship called Red Dwarf, which was what the show was named, but they were on one of those little green spaceships that they called Starbug. Yeah. And which was fine, but it was just, for me, it was kind of like, you know, where's Red, where's Red Dwarf? <laughs> you know, it's like, go back to Red Dwarf, you know? Um, yeah, they, they, they did some experimentation. They tried to switch it up, keep it fresh. The storylines. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you can't blame them. I mean, a lot of people, um, look at the, uh, the ninth season, uh, which is, which is called Back to Earth, but it's not really Earth. And it just, it was kind of a mess when all mm-hmm. was said and done. And so a lot of people are, and it was only four episodes. It was super short. Yeah. Now- so they, they try some stuff, but they keep going on. And really at the core, it's, it's the four of them and it's really funny. Now, would you be willing and able to sing fun, fun, fun in the sun, sun, sun? Oh my gosh. Can I, um, can I give it a shot? You can absolutely give it a shot. Okay, if I okay. can chime in, I'll okay. chime in. Okay. Um, I think it goes something like this. Dun, 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 dun. It's cold outside. There's no kind, kind of, of atmosphere. atmosphere. I'm alone, alone more, more or less. less. Comatose. Drinking orange juice. No. No. Goldfish stars. Nibbling at my toes, it's a small, 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 that worked. That worked pretty really well, good. and really um, I think it's safe to say we will never be invited on to America's Got Talent. Well, I don't know about you, but I think that was amazing, so all right. thank you. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, yeah, no, Red Dwarf was great. I mean... Yeah. Did you have a favorite character? Was it Cat? Was it Crichton? Uh, oh my God. Uh, it's it's tough to say. I mean, Cat is fantastic. Um, I've actually seen a really awesome 
person who will cosplay mm. as Cat um, at Gallifrey One, no less. Um, I don't know. I mean, I always liked Lister, but Cat was just so kind of crazy and over the top. You know what? You know what? I looked at his IMDb page. Guess yeah. what other? Two, guess what? Two, guess what? Two movies he's been in. I mean, he's been in more movies, but the two movies I'm thinking of just blew me away. He was in um, Little Shop of Horrors. Really? Yeah, and he was also in The Great Muppet Caper, the one that was set in oh, London. Oh, no kidding. Isn't that, isn't that just amazing? Wow. I know. That's awesome. That is awesome. Totally. I'm going to eat your little fishy. It's <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you do get a chance to check out a little bit of Red Dwarf, I, I really encourage you to. It's a great, fun trip. It um, is. If, if, if you like British shows at all, if you like British humor, mm-hmm. you will definitely get a kick out of Red Dwarf. For yep. sure. Uh, All right, Seb, what's your number two? All right, my number two, going into the evening, favorite PBS shows, The Voyage of the Mimi. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this also might not be a instantly recognizable title, but uh, The Voyage of the Mimi was a 13-episode series filmed circa 1984 in Massachusetts and Maine, also with an epic intro. And Taylor, if we could please listen yes, to a little indeed. bit. Yes, of- indeed. Here it comes. I have to admit, Seb, I, I really get stuck wanting to shout Skipper or Little Buddy. <laughs> now, I don't know if you watched this at all or remember I, this at all. But I recognize the title, but that's about it. I never really watched it. it. It's probably most well known for the fact that it starred a very young Ben Affleck. Yes, that Ben Affleck, Academy Award winning Ben Affleck. As, as a opposed to the guy who works down at Pizza Hut. Ben as Affleck? opposed to the Pizza Hut Ben Affleck. Exactly. Okay. Uh, this was his television television premiere um and basically it was more or less a show about a group of scientists studying whales and each episode was segmented the first half of each episode would be about this storyline and the second half of each episode the characters would come out of the actors would come out of character and talk to real life scientists about science and crap you know Hmm. um the one episode actually pretty much the only episode i remember is this one really dorky one when they got shipwrecked and had to learn how to make fresh water by using a plastic tarp to condense salt water or something like that right right they'll boil it and use boil the condensation it, to get condensation, the salt out of it exactly um, i learned that watching macgyver i mean it was a bit more interesting and the theme song was better right um <laughs> But it wasn't on PBS. It wasn't on PBS. Um, one of the actors playing one of the whale scientists was um, actually a deaf actor. Um, and they made a big point of that in the show. Kind of, They wanted the crew to be, or the cast to be diverse in terms of abilities and backgrounds. Um, okay. but, but she was so hot. I mean, just so hot. She was like the hottest whale scientist I've ever seen. And so how did uh, she not end up on the uh, Valentine's Day episode? Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking now. Yeah, it's like all of a sudden I'm thinking about all these more Valentine's Day episode people. I mean, I didn't even put Claire Danes on the list. What am I thinking? Well, and What's I wrong? didn't put Kachansky from Red Dwarf on the list. So there Holy, you go. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, the Mimi itself, the uh, the aforementioned uh, star of the show, was an actual real-life 72-foot French-built sailboat. 
Um, it was also to, really hot. It was also really hot. And according to Wikipedia, the Mimi was used by um, German soldiers during the Second World War to transport munitions. And then uh, from the was 80s to... Was it named to the, Mimi at that time? Was it? Yes, it was actually. It was, was it really? It was actually named the Mimi. Um, okay. I, I, well, actually, I don't know if that's true. but The Germans gonna, probably called it Das Mimi? Yeah, they probably, okay. probably very difficult to pronounce. Um, and then from the 80s to the 90s, the Mimi was um, used to teach school children using a, a specific curriculum developed for the TV show. Um, but then it had a really sad uh, ending. Apparently in 2008, uh, they found that a homeless man had been living on board the Mimi while it was docked in the Boston Marina. And he, they, he, they, uh, the owners of the ship kicked him out. And as an act of revenge, he returned and um, essentially sunk the ship. Oh, no. Um, and it sank while at port. And then in July 2011, it was uh, it was scrapped. So oh, the that Mimi, actually is a really sad ending. The Mimi is no more. My best friend in high school had, was a huge fan of the show. His Their family's pet cat was named Mimi. And I recently shared with him the news that the Mimi has been dead for eight years. And he was very sad. So uh, that's it's, and strangely enough, one of our nicknames for Mimers is Mimi. Is Mimi, right? Yeah. Yes. So so the Mimi lives on in a sense. It lives on in uh, YouTube episodes um, and on... Uh, if you haven't checked it out, um, I don't know if I would recommend it. I mean, it's not, it wasn't actually all that great. The but if you skipper, want to see a really young Ben Affleck. If you want to see a really young Ben Affleck, check it out. Um, the the probably most disturbing episode was the one where one of the kids on the boat got hypothermia. And the skipper of the boat, who kind of looked like Santa Claus, had to like get into his underwear and crawl into the kid's sleeping bag and press his Ooh. body against his body to warm him up. <laughs> and I remember the thing about the Voyage of the Mimi, I didn't. I watched it on PBS, but it wasn't at home. It was like played at like in science class in sixth grade. Huh. So like we're all in the classroom watching this happen, and everybody's kind of it was like this very awkward silence kind of situation. But um, we learned we learned what to do if you ever have hypothermia: find a big naked man that looks like Santa Claus and get in a sleeping bag with him. So uh, there you go, folks. The it's joys of uh, public hair. education. Yeah, totally. Oh god. Anyway, so uh, hey, what's your uh, what's your next pick for the for the evening? All right, so this. This one is going to be super obscure. Super obscure. If there is a single soul out there who knows the show I'm about to mention, um, I will be amazed and I will, like, I don't know, gift you with imaginary blessings because I've got nothing I can actually give you. It's called AM Weather. <laughs> Good morning, everyone, and welcome to AM Weather. I'm Carl Weiss. And I'm Joan Von Ahn. Well, a slow-moving cold front moving across the eastern part of the country kept most of the northeast yesterday rather damp and dreary. Over to this morning's national map, we find that light rain, drizzle, and fog covered most of the east from New England into the mid-Atlantic region and then back through the Great Lakes. So... AM Weather was uh, a, a cooperation between Maryland PBS and the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, um, with a little bit of love and help from the FAA. It was on super early. Now, this this actually might have been a KQED, not a KTEH. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was on at like 5.30 or 6 in the morning, and I was a really early riser. And I was also really into weather. Okay. Um, and living in the Bay Area... We we don't get a wide variety of weather. We get a rainy season. We get a dry season. Um, 
So it was always kind of fascinating to me. And this now understand this is this is the mid '80s. This is pre Weather Channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is is pre having you know instant weather on your device. This is pre having devices. Mm-hmm. Um, so. This was a show that, for whatever reason, you know, here it is, it's six in the morning, and there's not really much of anything on, and oh, hey, here's this thing that's got a bunch of uh, uh, weather information, um, but it also had like an aviation forecast. But this um, must have I, been a national weather, I mean, it wasn't it, like it, local weather, right? It was it, national No, weather. it was, yeah, it was national. Um, so I, I've brought up the Wikipedia page. So AM Weather was an American weather news program that ran from October 30th, 1978 to February 3rd, 1990. And was broadcast on PBS stations throughout the U.S. It was a 15-minute daily program that either aired 15 minutes before or after the hour, depending on the station. Um, Now, the program led the way in the use of computer graphics for televised weather reports and had previously used hand-drawn maps and the show's trademark yellow pointer. Um, what I always found interesting, like, like in terms of like weather terms that for some reason stick in my, uh, in my head that I uh-huh. know that I learned watching this show, yeah. um, was talking about winds aloft. So talking <laughs> about that? wind speed yeah. in elevations way above ground level. Oh, okay. At that age, when I was watching this, yeah. um, it never occurred to me that the wind speed at the ground and the wind speed, you know, 15,000, 20,000 feet up in the air would be different. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, so that was like a totally like different thing to me. Okay. Um, and it was always just, I don't know. I mean, I was a little kid. It was like, oh, look at this big giant snake going across the country. Oh, that's the jet stream. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. cool. You know, um, learning that, you know, low pressure systems rotate in one direction and high pressure systems rotate in the other direction. Who knew? Wow. Now, you know, I did check out some of the YouTube clips. I got to confess, I have no memory of Weather AM. Probably because it was so early, but I do want to give you, I, I do want to say that I do remember you being a childhood enthusiast of, or having a childhood dream to become a meteorologist when you I grew did. up. Yeah. I do remember that, which I yeah. think is really fascinating because, I mean, I think most kids are probably going to want to be like a firefighter or something, you know? And do you I think there was a TV weather guy. There was a TV weather guy. Do you think there was anything about the that profession that meshed with your personality? Or what, what do you think was going on there? Um, what was the allure? I, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, right. I mean, I think I think AM weather kind of um, maybe inspired it a little bit. But I, I think in terms of personality, I know as a kid, I was really outgoing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very much an extrovert. I liked... Um, you know, talking on a microphone into a tape recorder. I liked, you know, um, doing stuff in front of the camcorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always liked weather. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I always thought weather was really fascinating. And I think even that stems out of being a little kid and camping in Yosemite and being terrified of thunderstorms. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as I got older, kind of learning about them and understanding, you know, what they are, what causes them. Um, and so, yeah, for, for a period of my life, that's what I wanted to be. And I actually, when I was a teacher, there was a field trip to channel 11. And, um, at one point I did get to stand kind of 
uh, in front of the weatherboard. And, uh, you know, it was all green screen at that point. And of course, I think it was a day where I was wearing kind of a green shirt and I kind of looked at myself <laughs> just in, in, in the monitor. <laughs> Um, granted as an adult, as a rather chubby adult and everything. And I went, yeah, no, I could never do this. <laughs> Wait, do you ever, was this recorded? Do you have a recording of this? No, 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 no. This, this, oh. this was just a visit to the station. This was oh. not like what you did years and years no, and years no. ago. Oh my gosh. Wow. You know what? I mean, at first when I saw this pick, I was a little, a little, a little skeptical. I was thinking, Hey, you know, we're, you know, Sesame street, electric company, you know, uh, Mr. Rogers, they're getting left in the, in the dust for AM weather. But you know what? Now that I hear about this, I am, I am, I do kind of, I am kind of on board a little bit because I mean, as a kid, I think there were only two TV shows that I was willing to wake up that early to watch. Yeah. One was the, one was the mysterious cities of gold, which oh, was yes. the greatest animation animated series ever, in my opinion. And one was um, a really bad show called Great Chefs, Great Cities. So I'm not really sure about that one. But anyway, so I think the fact that you were willing to wake up so early for this is just testament to how much you enjoyed it, you know? And yeah. our, our second episode tonight, or a second pick tonight from Maryland PBS. Who knew? Yeah, um, some of these East Coast PBS stations, like Boston and Maryland, yeah. did a lot of original content. Right, right. Yeah. All right, man. WGBH. Yeah. Well, yes. my third pick for the evening, uh, we're going to go back to the drawing theme, and I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, David McCullough. Um, now, again, this is probably a pick that many of our listeners might not fully remember. but Or, uh, or some of the hosts might not remember. Or, or some of the hosts. But basically, this gentleman was an American. He's an American um, children's book illustrator and author. And he authored a wildly successful series of children's books about the architecture and building of historic structures, Gothic cathedrals, medieval castles, Roman cities, Egyptian pyramids. And his books were amazing because they were filled with the most intricate, detailed, beautiful line drawings of the um, sequential building of such structures with a lot of details and cross uh, cutaways where you could see uh, the interior of spaces. Um, when I was a kid, I was I loved these books. These books were like basically gold. Um, um, they were big. They had white covers, and they were—I don't think they were hard cover. They were soft. They were like not paperback, oh, but like soft. I covers. think I remember these books. Is it started ringing a bell? Basically? It's the the books are yeah. The show yeah. isn't. So basically, what happened was in the 1980s. He did a handful of television adaptations of his books. So you'd have one episode that was uh, medieval castles. You would have one episode that was medieval cathedrals. You'd have one episode that was Egyptian pyramids. And it would basically be the episode would have two halves and it would partly be live action hosted by him himself. And the other half would be animated in the style of his artwork. The, and the animated sections were amazing because some of the voice talents they they hired to be part of this. I mean, you're talking like Derek Jacoby, Brian Blessed, a really like big big name Shakespearean British actors, basically. Yeah, and and both of whom also ended up on Doctor Who. Both of whom exactly ended up on Doctor Who. And the thing that I loved as a little kid, David McCullough, for each one of these episodes, he'd always have a co-host who was. Um, 
uh, a, a female co-host and there was like so like for some of these episodes there was like intense sexual tension going on between the two hosts and even really? as a little kid i'm watching this thing and it's like i don't know idea what sexual tension is you could just kind of get the feeling that like something was going on between the two of them and he was so good because he had this like really kind of how do i say this he had this kind of like burt reynolds swagger and in some of the episodes he actually had a porn mustache oh and, shut up and like you know like a really bad plaid jacket and i watch these things now and they're just intensely entertaining they're so good on so many levels because That's it's awesome it's like the sacred and the profane together it's just so good um and folks if if you remember this my i i, I tip my hat to you um if you've never had the pleasure i really recommend that you try to check out some of his stuff the, the videos are mostly on youtube so it should be easy to find heck i'm gonna have to check this stuff out that's that's it's really cool totally good <laughs> anyway so what's your uh, what's your fourth pick for the evening oh my fourth pick this is this is one that uh, would make dad proud because this was a favorite of his that he turned us on to and um i for one totally fell in love with it it's the prisoner oh my god dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, um very uh, very jazzy swangy kind of uh theme song um and, and and I think this was one of Dad's favorite, mostly because he drove a Lotus in the opening credits, and because of Spycraft. He, I mean, Dad loves his spy novels. Now, now, how would you describe? I mean, we've tried to describe. I mean, hopefully, most people know what Doctor Who is. You know, um, Red Dwarf. It's a space comedy. Uh, I mean, how, where do you even begin with explaining what the prisoner is? I mean, oh, how man. can I, you even describe what the prisoner is? I well, I mean, I've seen prisoner... every episode, and I can't describe what the prisoner is. <laughs> yeah, right. Me too. Um, who is number one? You are number six. Right. Um, so the the prisoner, I I think at its core is a story of what happens to a spy when he leaves the spy craft. You know, he knows too much. Right. Um, you know, mobsters have their their way of dealing with mobsters who want to leave gang members have their way of dealing with gang members who want to leave the british government apparently ships you off to a very cheery looking village down in wales and guards it with a giant white ball right so basically we have the actor patrick lagoon who's playing a disaffected british spy he wants Mm -hmm. to quit but the government wants to know something from him so it doesn't feel like well we could just murder this guy and he wouldn't be a threat because he's not going to tell the secrets we want to kind of trap him in a human zoo and try to interrogate him but not by like shooting him up with you know sodium pentothal but instead trying to play mind games with him in a very surreal village that is lived in by weird people who dress kind of like um uh, you know, people at the, they dress like the people dress at the uh, hot dog on a stick at the shopping mall, but they ride around on those like penny farthing bicycles with the huge front wheel. Um, and uh, there's no gates around the prison, but it's sort of like an island. But if you try to get too far off the island, there's a giant monster that comes and attacks you named Rover, who is yes. actually a balloon that's white, but it's like 20 feet in diameter. <laughs> it's ginormous. Right. And everybody in the village doesn't have a name. They get a number. So Patrick McGowan is not Patrick McGowan. He's number six. And if you've ever heard somebody shout, I am not a number. I am a free man. This is where it comes from. This is where it comes from. There's always a uh, guy named number two. 
which actually is kind of scatological, but I don't think that's where they were going with it. <laughs> who was basically like each episode, the number two might be a different actor, and he would be sort of like the guy that ran the jail, the so-called village, and would yes. try to like play mental games with Patrick McGowan and try to like, you know, pit wits with him. You never really figured out who number one was because you assume number one means that's like the person in charge kind of thing. Um, but, you know, it really doesn't make sense or matter even on some level to explain what the prisoner is. It was just so bizarre, so surreal, and so perfect. It, and it, so really, it really it's was. Such a, it's like the most culty of all cult classics. Yes, it's very much a cult classic. It's very much worth a watch if you have never seen it. Um, I will forever um, remember Dad when I was like, well, what about what about number one? And he's like, no, 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 no. Listen to what he says. Uh-huh. Who is number one? And yeah. the answer is, you are number six. How about number six? And he right? changes the the intonation just slightly from what you hear on the show. And I go, what? And then, of course, in the last blown. episode, it's this completely like bonkers, just meta fest. And he's trying to get to number one, and it's him. And it's like, is this all happening in his head? What the hell is going on? I think, if I'm not mistaken, that last episode may have included like some Beatles music and I think like like the Beatles almost never agreed to allow their music in any sort of TV shows or movies mm-hmm. but like they were such big fans like they were like yeah go ahead use our music or something I think that's a true story I'm not sure okay okay yeah now, I'm, I'm not sure but it um Oh man, there is actually um, a very little-known uh, techno song from the early '90s by okay. a barrier-based group called Gravity, okay. um, called "We Want Information," Informa- which is a line from the show. Which is a line from the show. So it's actually it's 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 um, uh, a, a song that does nothing but samples from the prisoner. Um, and I have my childhood friend Jonathan for to thank for introducing me to that. Um, it, it's I don't think you can even find it anymore. There is um, a copy of it on YouTube, and that's the only way I have an MP3 of it now. I think I think the interesting thing about the prisoner is the village itself had so much personality. It was almost like its own character. Oh, absolutely! All of the buildings looked really old fashioned and quaint, like almost like Edwardian. But they, at the same time, they were all super science fictiony. So, like if you would go into your little home or whatever, like like the, you wouldn't really have to use the doorknob. It would like open automatically. Mm-hmm. And there were like all of these speakers everywhere. And there would be like announcements like, like, good morning, villagers. Today, there's going to be a chess game in this town square or something like that. You know what I mean? It, it was. Um, there's definitely a big brother aspect to big brother, the whole thing. Institutionalization kind of thing. I loved um, the telephones. The telephones were amazing. Um, you know what? Here's the thing. Like, I'm gonna come out and admit it and confess it publicly here. I don't think I've ever told anybody this ever before. Ooh, breaking news! Breaking news. There's a faint. There's a pretty famous song called "Secret Agent Man." Yes. Now. Secret Agent Man, there's a line in Secret Agent Man where it says, like, taking away, no, giving you a number and taking away your name. Absolutely. Which I'm sure is probably a reference to something like James Bond 007. You know, spies have numbers instead of names, you know? Mm -hmm. But as a little kid, I remember hearing that lyric and, like, thinking to myself, it's like, wait a second, that's talking about The Prisoner. This is a (laughs) song about that show I watched called The Prisoner. And, like, I was convinced that I was the only person on Earth that knew the truth about this song, which I'm sure isn't true. I'm sure it was just about random spy stuff and how spies have numbers Mm -hmm. but um i was really proud of myself that day i just thought i had really cracked a case or something like that very nice but um geez yeah oh my and it was only i mean it was like one season it didn't like you know what i mean it wasn't like it ended 
it it like it didn't overstay its welcome as a show. Right, like, and that's... it didn't have three seasons, and like the three third season sucked or something. Or... Yeah, it it had its story to tell. It told its story, and there you go. Right, yeah. Ah, that's so good. My, I think my favorite number two was um the. There's a British actor who played. Uh, his name's eluding me right now. He played Rumpold of the Bailey. Oh yes. Yeah. Um. Oh, I apologize. Larger oh. fella, kind of reddish complexion. Looks like Lazy he could play Churchill or something. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, yes, I, I can yeah. see him. I know who you're talking about, and I just can't remember his name right now. He was my favorite number two. Yeah, he's a good one. Yeah. Oh, great pick. Great, great. Yeah. Pick. I- and, How do you and, not and, do the prisoner? And you know, and uh, KTEH uh, hosted was ho- the prisoner was shown on KTEH hosted by Scott Appel, who I mentioned earlier. And I think he was really integral into. I think when the prisoner first premiered on American TV in like mm-hmm. the '60s, when it was new, it really it was shown out of order, so it made even less sense than it makes when you watch it in order. So it oh, never really, heavens. I think it never really caught on, but like Scott Appel, I think Scott Appel and KTH were pretty groundbreaking in terms of being one of the first places on American television that showed it in the proper order, I think maybe. Well, and, and didn't, didn't he also do like, like little intros and stuff. So he kind of helped yeah. you piece stuff together. Uh, that yeah. I think was very, very valuable. Yeah, and he would dress up like somebody from the TV show. Like he would yes. have that suit with the button kind of thing. Yes. With the badge with his number on it. Ah, oh, so good. <sighs> Wow. Definitely. All right, man. What's your next one? All right, folks. My number four pick tonight, Reading Rainbow, a fan favorite, probably maybe potentially one of the only shows that people listening to tonight's episode can relate to because it was so (laughs) ubiquitous and popular growing up on PBS in the 1980s. Of course, hosted by the legendary LeVar Burton, the show that made everybody love books and reading. Um, and, uh, I gotta tell you, I mean, there's so many things about this show. Um, the theme song, so iconic Mm -hmm. phrase, you don't have to take my word for it. Um, I think the part that I dug the most was the bit at the end of each episode where you'd have two or three, like little kids who would basically do a book report about some book. Oh Um, yes. And like, I was just always fascinated with that. Like, first of all, it's like, how do you get to be one of those kids? Sign me up. I want to be on reading rainbow. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's like, you know, whatever happened to those kids? Did they grow up and live happy lives? I mean, I would, you know how there was like VH1 behind the music, those like documentaries. Like if someone made a documentary about what happened to those kids, like just any of those kids, did they have normal lives? Did they end up going to prison? Oh my, oh my God. I would, I, I would watch eight hours of that nonstop, just like mainline it. You know what I mean? How about, how about let's, let's recut reading rainbow and merge it with VH1 pop-up video. Oh my gosh. And just have little pop-up facts from behind the scenes. Now I know that you had one episode that came, that you remembered basically, right? Uh, For one book. Yeah. For whatever reason, um, like. I remember reading Rainbow. I mean, I remember the theme song. I still sing it every now and then just randomly, um, confusing my kids. Um, it's LeVar Burton. How do you not, you know, love LeVar, LeVar Burton and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for whatever reason, if you were to be like, Hey, list some of the books that you remember, I remember one. I remember Abby Yo-Yo. Abby Yo-Yo. Um, and I think because I sometimes see that book while I'm taking my son to school and they got bookshelves and stuff and all and stuff. And I think at one point that was sitting up on a shelf and I was like, Hey, I know that book. Now, Abby Yo-Yo. Now, who wrote Abby Yo-Yo? 
No idea. The, the legendary folk musician Pete Seeger. Yeah, he he wrote it. He I wrote thought it. he I thought he just read it on the show. He literally wrote Happy Yo Yo. I think he did. Yeah. What? Yeah. I, I have watched, to cross check this. I I checked out I checked out some of the YouTube because here's the thing. When I saw that in the show notes, I was like, that does sound familiar. And I looked on the YouTube thing. And it all came rushing back. It was amazing. And it was so fascinating because it's like when Pete Seeger is like talking with LeVar Burton about this book, he's talking about, he goes into this whole philosophical thing about how like uh, lullabies for children are like propaganda songs because you're trying to like encourage someone to do something like propaganda. But in this case, you're encouraging them to fall asleep as opposed to like vote for somebody or something. I I can see that. It was this like really deep political philosophical like discussion going on. And I'm like eight years old watching PBS and I'm like, what <laughs> but it was so good you know well and you're right Ab pete seeger did write abby yo-yo i thought he just read it on the show i was like wow God. okay cool totally now <laughs> i'll have to i have to confess my favorite episode was the one episode of reading rainbow when um lavar burton actually went behind the scenes of star trek the next generation yeah, yeah. And, I had forgotten about that one, but that uh, was a great episode. They had like outtakes and they did, I, my favorite part was when they looked at how they did some of the special effects, like mm-hmm. how you could put glitter in a glass of water and stir it up and that's how you would make like a transporter beam. Oh yeah. Totally. Um, uh, but you uh, you don't have to take my word for it. Uh, I, I won't, but I do. Uh, that's probably <laughs> that's probably where we should have used that sound effect, by the way. Um, oh, you mean you mean this one? Oh, so here, here, let's, let's make it sound more official. All right. G- give me the line again. You don't have to take my word for it. See, we, we can work on the timing with the, uh, uh, with the soundboard here, but you don't have to take my word for it. Do you think that works with any other phrases? I, I'm not sure about that. Uh, now no. with scrubbing bubbles. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> I might just leave this one on the soundboard for the fun of it. I've got to tell you, though, that one of my uh, coworkers, yes. um, she's a big Star Trek fan, and she, she's been on something. It's a cruise. It's a Star Trek cruise that all of the old actors go on. Okay. And so you'll be on this cruise, but like like Will Wheaton and LeVar Burton are there. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I guess they tell stories and people dress up and like they, they, they go on field trips on little islands. And it just so sounds like the most... Gallifrey one for Star Trek fans on a boat. Yeah, but it's almost like you're living with the guest stars for like a week and like going to the bar with them and like, oh, apparently it's just, I mean, it just sounded magical, by the way. That sounds Um, awesome. It does sound awesome. If there was a Reading Rainbow cruise, oh, I would go on it. Oh my gosh. Uh, Anyway. You need a cruise ship with a library. Right, exactly. Um, but hey, what's your uh, what's your final pick for the evening? Well, my final pick for the evening, as I scroll up to it, as our, our notes are rather extensive. Now, this show is legendary, but you don't have to take my word for it. Are we tired of this yet? Have we have we lost all our listeners at, at this point? Is there anybody even listening anymore? Uh, we're just we're, we're we're completing our transformation into a morning zoo show, right? Pretty much. Um, no, no, no. I would be I, as much as everybody probably knows Reading Rainbow. I would like to think that everybody probably remembers Monty Python's Flying Circus. Uh, four for five British television classics for your picks tonight. Really strong. Really good I, stuff. And, and PBS, nonetheless. I mean, who knew? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Monty Python, it was one of those shows that, you know, our folks introduced us to. It was probably one of those times where we, we were starting 
to get to an age where we could stay up a little bit later um, because I don't think they showed Monty Python at like six in the evening. This is probably more like a eight or nine o'clock at night mm-hmm. kind of thing because, you know, some of their humor was was fairly edgy, even for the late 60s and early 70s. Um but by golly, it would serve as the basis for so much of my humor growing up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely. Kind of fed into that absurdist British uh, style. Um, yeah. Did you have a favorite uh, Python actor or comedian? Um, oh, boy. Um, I, geez. It would have to be a toss-up between Michael Palin and John Cleese. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty, yeah, I think that's, you can't go wrong with those choices, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong, they're all hilarious, they're all brilliant, but if you were like, you have to pick a favorite, it'd probably be one of those too. I remember my first girlfriend was big into Python, uh, this nice. was like 95 or so. Okay. And I remember like being shown, like, I guess when Python, back in the day in the 60s when they did the show, like they also did like the German language version for German TV or something, and it was uh, really weird because... Yes. Yeah, it was like, I remember I saw some footage and it was like, it was basically, I think the same skits and the same actors, but it was all in German or something, which was Mm -hmm. really surreal. Um, Did you have a favorite sketch, a favorite, um, I know we, I know in the last episode we talked about the Lumberjack song. Well, yeah. I mean, it's 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 hard not to love the Lumberjack song. Um, Dead Parrot mm-hmm. is classic. Um, Ministry of Silly Walks. Uh-huh. Um, there's the one where, and I think it is Michael Palin and John Cleese in this one, um, where Michael Palin comes in. He's like, uh, so, uh, is, is this room where I come in for an argument? And John Cleese goes, no, it isn't. <laughs> and, and so proceeds the debate between, is it an argument or you just negating what i'm saying um see i've already got him laughing um but god there's just i mean there's so many um you know i know randomly like you and i just in daily life we'd go number three the large large yeah yeah um like how not to be seen mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. that whole sketch is like oh mr phelps is hiding somewhere in this field Mm-hmm. And they just start setting off explosions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then randomly, like, a bush would blow up and somebody off screen on a mic would go, Wah! <laughs> I, You know what? I really I really like the, uh, looking back now, um, I like the cartoons, like the little animated bits. Yeah, the Terry know? Gilliam bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were, those were pretty good, too. But, um, but uh, yeah, geez, I mean, classic television, really. Uh, Absolutely. In fact, there is, um, I don't even really remember what the sketch was, but... Um, you know, two of the, two of the guys were, were, uh, dressed as ladies. Mm-hmm. One comes walking up to the other in a park and, uh, the, the second one is sitting at a bench and on a big trolley is a car engine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they sit down and, and obviously Monty Python has greatly influenced how I, uh, uh, perform female voices if I'm reading something or if I'm imitating something. Mm. Um, and it's something like, mm. Been shopping? Mm-hmm. No, I've been shopping. Mm-hmm. Well, what'd you buy? Piston engine. Yeah, well, yeah, what'd yeah, you buy yeah. that for? Yeah. It was a bargain. It was a bargain, yeah. And it just, it just, uh, it's... And she probably had like a hairnet on or something. Yeah, or, probably yeah. something like that. You know, both little clutch purses holding it close to their chest kind yeah. of thing. And um, that just was the funniest thing in the world to me for the longest time. How do you feel about Gumby's? I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love Gum- I love Gumby, the character of Gumby, the guy with like the weird like napkin on his head. Yeah. 
But at the same time, as a kid, I was always confused because I didn't understand if it was connected with like the green Gumby, like the claymation Gumby. <laughs> it's right. Cause we were, we knew the claymation Gumby at the time too. Um, yeah. I, um, I, I, was like, I love the Gumbies. I honestly, yeah. I, I think the, the very first Monty Python that I ever showed, uh-huh. uh, my kids in any way, shape or form was a Gumby sketch. Oh, that's a good, that's a good, um, the, and it was the one where there's like, he goes to the doctor mm-hmm. he's my brain hurts. <laughs> um, and there's there's the whole sketch that goes on with that, and they thought it was just hilarious, right? Right. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I, I think it's I think it's some sort of like riff on country folk. I guess. Yeah, I don't know if it's like. Yeah, I mean, there's probably so many references that like we don't super get because we're not English. Um, which actually leads me into an important question I've been meaning to ask you all evening. Would you consider yourself an Anglophile? Um, I would maybe consider myself a minor Anglophile. I'm, there's a lot of British culture. There's a lot of British TV that I really enjoy and I really like, Uh but I, I don't sit here, um, making a point to watch like the queen's Christmas address. And I don't, uh, uh, you know, necessarily celebrate British specific holidays or, Uh um, drink lots of tea, um, Uh you know, or something that I imagine like a genuine Anglophile would do. And maybe I'm just stereotyping like crazy here, but, Uh um, you know, so a a minor Anglophile. Yes. Uh A major Anglophile. Maybe not. Okay. Okay. You? Uh, I, I don't know if I would call myself an Anglophile. I do know that when I went to Britain, when I attended university in Great Britain, I remember mom once told me afterwards that she thought that, in her words, she had quote unquote lost me. And I remember asking her, what do you mean she lost you? You thought you lost me. And she was convinced that I was having such a good time over there that I was going to relocate permanently to Britain, maybe get residency or something over oh, there, wow. and not live in America anymore, um, which blew my mind because I, I really can't see myself living anywhere outside of Northern California, really. Um, well, I'll, I'll be honest, when we came came to visit you while you were staying at Oxford after taking a very long flight from San Francisco to, I think, New York to maybe it was Boston to (laughs) England and then taking the hour long bus ride out to Oxford and walking around, staying awake to try and adjust to the time. I remember remarking many times of like going, I feel like I'm on PBS. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Really? I feel like I'm just on PBS right now. See, I had the opposite reaction after mom and dad had watched so many thousands of hours of British murder mysteries of all shapes and sorts. I was convinced (laughs) the moment I got off the plane, there was going to be a killer right behind every tree. Good God. Most bloodthirsty island I've ever heard of. Oh my, yes. We'll oh, talk wow. about Masterpiece Theater another time, I'm sure. Totally. That's a great choice, though. Monty Python. That's probably, probably next to Doctor Who, probably the, one of the biggest. Like, I don't know what's bigger, Monty Python or Doctor Who, but those are two pretty big, you know, epic franchises, I guess. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Oh. All right. What is your last one tonight? Ladies and gentlemen, my last pick for our PBS memories is Star Hustler, a.k.a. Stargazer, with Jack Horkheimer. Um... <laughs> 
which was produced uh, beginning in 1976 by Florida's PBS affiliate WPBT, but didn't begin broadcasting nationally until 1985. Star Hustler was a five-minute show, almost like a bumper, yeah. um, that was shown, um, and it was uh, all about stargazing. It was intended to give the average member of the public uh, up-to-date information about what celestial events they could expect to see in their skies in the coming days or weeks or months, basically. Hosted by Jack Horkheimer, the pudgy executive director of the Miami Space Transit Planetarium. This guy was amazing. Space the, Transit? The Space Transit Planetarium. What a great so, name. So it was a the space bus system? <laughs> yes. You could learn about space and the public buses. All right. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, this guy was great. I don't know if you remember this guy. He was kind of short. He rocked a members-only jacket. He also had a porn mustache. Yep. Um, and probably like the biggest thing about this, first of all, the special effects were, first of all, there were special effects. Second of all, they were like $5 special effects. <laughs> he would be like walking out like onto one of the rings of Saturn that yes. he was like blue screened over That's or something. That's what I remember. Um, and it had a awesome theme song. It was uh, Claude Debussy's Arabesque Number no. 1, performed by Japanese electronic music pioneer Isayo Tomita. And I'll tell you one thing, like this song, like, in fact, let's listen to a clip of yeah, this Yeah, you, you gotta song. hear it to really appreciate it. Let's, let's take a listen, folks. Some people hustle pools. Some people hustle cars. Then there's that man you've heard about, the one who hustles stars. Jack Horkheimer, star hustler, director of Miami's Space Transit Planetarium. Our episode for this week, Monday, August 19th through Sunday, August 25th, is The Centaur's Secret Revealed and Tipping Tea on a Terrible Tale. And now, here to tell you all about tonight's sky and the biggest show of all, the universe, your star hustler, Jack wow. Orkheimer. Greetings, greetings, fellow stargazers. And in last week's episode, we showed you how to find the well, constellation you know, Sagittarius. That song, I will always associate it with the star hustler. And yeah. what's really interesting to me, before researching tonight's episode i didn't realize that the performer the japanese musician tomita was so famous i'd never even heard of him and apparently he's a legend in a weird esoteric subgenre of music called space music which, okay which like i listened to some of his other space music and it is amazing ladies and nice. gentlemen if you are interested in learning about japanese electronic space music from the 70s it's definitely worth your time and it's pretty smooth and slick and rocking wow um, okay so so if you had to pick between tomita and giorgio moroder who did um the chase which was the art bell theme song oh wow what would you pick oh i mean i'm not sh i don't even know if like they're comparable but i mean no. i'm i'm in a tomita mood right now i don't know right. it's 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 hard to, to knock this but i mean that's the thing so many of these great pbs shows had really really catchy songs and themes um now of course in 1997 um star hustler changed its name to stargazer uh, allegedly to avoid sounding like pornography but i mean i think the show is always going to be star hustler in my heart and i think the more it sounds like pornography the better um i mean you remember the show right i mean i'm not I do, just okay I do. i'm not just talking to blank water okay no 
Okay, this isn't like by AM weather, right? Basically. Um, but um, now, were you, did you ever like do any stargazing? I mean, I remember like watching like meteor showers and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, dad's got a, a, a telescope. I mean, I remember doing plenty of stargazing in the backyard, looking at the moon or looking up at Jupiter or something. You know what? I feel so bad because I know I've mentioned this before. I mean, I've lived in light polluted areas for the past 10 or 15 years. It's been so long since I've really seen any stars. I really need to take another road trip out to some really desolate place and just... You know, go crazy on like a cloudless, moonless night. I mean, it'd be, I, I suppose it would be easy to find out what nights are moonless, which would probably be beneficial for stargazing. But um, I guess it would be tricky finding a night that would have no cloud cover. I think that's the, the, the that's the crapshoot. Maybe. Well, you know, you, you know what you need for that. You need AM weather. <laughs> yes, I need AM weather. Yes, I'll I'll have to log on to YouTube and watch some thirty-year-old weather reports to figure <laughs> out where to go to find some clear, clear, uh, clear skies. Uh, Honestly, man, you could probably just, you know, take an hour's drive up into the foothills from where you are. Yeah, I could. Well, I mean, I, yeah, it's probably. You don't have less... to go to the desert. No, I know. But I mean, I, I would, I want to get like the, like a real great, like, you know, just boom, like the Milky Way is just going crazy. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think you could definitely find some places. I just get, get up into the mountains a bit, get, get away from civilization. Do we still have the Milky Way? That hasn't, that is like, that's not one of the other things that climate change is destroying, is it? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not it's still yet. there. If okay. you still like chewy nougat, we still have a Milky Way. Still got Milky Way? Okay, cool. Oh, oh, wow. Man. We did it. We did do it, indeed. Any final so, thoughts about PBS or public television in general? I mean, it didn't have commercials, but it did have pledge breaks. So. It did have pledge breaks. And oftentimes the pledge breaks, as much as you were kind of like, oh, another pledge break, they were kind of entertaining since... Sometimes they were entertaining. I thought so. You know, sometimes sometimes you're just you're up really late at night and you just want like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy to start yes. up again. You know, at school the next morning or something. Yes. Um, but because uh, pledge breaks always seemed to be an evening or a nighttime thing. Well, you know yeah, because I mean? it was when more people were probably watching. Right, and we probably watched a lot of evening PBS programming, a lot of yes. the more quote unquote adult content unquote. Yeah. Not to definitely. say there was like not to say there was really adult content on PBS. It, I don't think there was like late night. PBS like Skin and Max stuff. <laughs> no, there was not like I mean, PBS After Dark. But they might have gotten more money, I guess. Maybe. Possibly. Possibly. I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. Oh man. Well, you know, KTEH, we love you wherever you are. Yeah. Up in the big, big, you know, television cemetery in the sky. Uh, <laughs> I guess. Uh, shoot. Uh, well, folks, if I hope you've enjoyed the show tonight. I mean, I really hope if you have some of your own favorite PBS memories, please feel free to reach out to us on social media. We'd love to hear, you know, the feedback. What what shows you remember? Do you remember any of the shows we'd mentioned? Um, there's so many big name shows that we didn't touch on tonight for various reasons, like Sesame Street or Mr. Rogers. But I'm really, I'm really excited and happy with the choices we made tonight. I think they're all pretty solid. And, you know, it's a good mix of uh, domestic and international stuff as well. Oh, definitely. And I, I, I mean, I think we've we've proven we've got enough stuff to do a another pbs episode down the road somewhere totally <sighs> well uh next time in june for uh if memory serves we're not completely set yet on what we're going to do we're still ironing out a couple of ideas right um so it's gonna be a surprise stay tuned folks yeah but we will be back 
in a month. But between now and then, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Memory Serves Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Blue Box UFO, and you can follow Seb at Clan McMuffin, but you don't have to take my word for it. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Heck, wherever you consume podcasts, just search If Memory Serves. Don't forget, we're also on Spotify. Please, wherever you can, rate and review us as well. That helps us get noticed. And you know what? Share us with friends. Tell a friend. Um, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash the N-O-T-L-G and get all the shows from the network. Please also check out notlg.spreadshirt.com and get yourself one of our sweet, sweet If Memory Serves shirts. And if you're able to, join us on patreon.com slash N-O-T-L-G. Anything you can help to help support the network and keep us on services like Spotify is always appreciated. Uh, Morgan Willis does our intro and outro music. You can check him out on Facebook. Search up, search up, search up. You can search or search up Morgan Willis. His name's all in caps. You can't miss it. He's on Twitter at Morgan Willis 82. And you can also check him out on SoundCloud, just like we are. Just search Morgan Willis. Well, that's all for us for this May. Thank you for joining us. See you in June. And, uh, we will talk to you then. Good night, folks. Good night. Ben Affleck, yes, that Ben Affleck, Academy Award winning Ben Affleck. As, as opposed child. to the guy who works down at Pizza Hut. Ben as Affleck. opposed to the Pizza Hut Ben Affleck.